the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon. Welcome. It's five minutes after the hour, five o'clock, on your basic Wednesday, the second day of September, and uh, maybe you need to be reminded, I certainly did, that we're coming into Labor Day weekend this weekend, though with all that's going on in our state and our country, certainly doesn't feel much like a Labor Day holiday, but uh, there it is nevertheless. So then the big question is, what are your plans? And hopefully whatever you're going to be doing on this Labor Day weekend, that you are taking all the necessary precautions. Don't do crazy things. Don't head out to the beach. Don't be with large crowds. Make sure if you're in public, you're wearing a mask. Do what's right to protect yourself, your loved ones, and also your fellow citizens. All right, that public service announcement from (laughs) Mr. Roberts. Coming up later on, Dr. Jerry Buckner is going to join us. He, of course, is a counselor, lecturer, expert on the cults, host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturdays at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Dr. Buckner recently penned an editorial opinion for newspaper that really, I think, gets to the heart of many of the problems that we're seeing going on in America today, particularly in relationship to um, all of the violence, the protests on the streets, um, the response to the um, the issue of questionable questionable issues in relationship to what we're hearing about. Uh, well, you know all the cities, you know all the cases. I won't take the time to go into it. I'll just simply say that Dr. Buckner opens up some insights into a solution that I think bears some serious consideration, and he's going to join us later on in the program to uh, to discuss his thoughts and comments, so stay with us for that. Also, uh, Debbie Withnow was going to join us, president of iVoterGuide. We're going to talk about ways in which you can be sure to participate in the November elections, do so securely, and make sure that your vote counts. We'll tell you all about that coming up a little bit later on. Speaking of voting, you know, as much as there is the focus on what's going on at the federal level with the elections and so forth, we've often reminded you, be cautious. Be very, very cautious about who you vote for at the local level as well, because today's city council member could be tomorrow's member of the California State Legislature. And if we're not electing quality people people who have the best interests of our families and our communities at heart, people that are not seeking higher office simply because they have an agenda. If we're not making sure we're electing the right kind of people, it can have a profound impact. Witness, for example, here in California, right now, a state facing record unemployment. We have the largest number of COVID-19 cases in the entire country. 
over 721,000, over 13,000 deaths, a 54-plus billion dollar budget deficit, not 54-plus billion budget, billion budget deficit. And against the backdrop of all this chaos that's going on, is the California State Legislature working on programs that makes California more attractive to businesses? Is it doing everything it can to make sure that Californians can survive the impact of COVID-19, not just physically, but financially as well? Is it looking for creative ways in order to reduce spending to close the budget gap? The answer would be no. Instead, they're considering bills, as they did in the final day of the session on Monday, that would essentially weaken California's laws when it comes to incest and predatory... I don't even know how to describe this, so I'm going to let I'm going to let Pete Peterson do it. Pete Peterson, by the way, if you're not familiar, is dean and um, senior fellow at Pepperdine School of Public Policy, the Davenport Institute at Pepperdine University, where he's senior fellow. And uh, Pete, always good to have you with us. You know, when I I first wanted to broach this topic with you about what's going on in in California and specifically with our state legislature. This story came across my desk pertaining to Senate Bill 145, and I thought, I don't even know how I can politely talk about this on the radio. It is so out of hand and so vile, and yet here we are, and this is the biggest priority apparently for the California state legislature in a time when we're dealing with historic levels of sex trafficking and and child abuse in our state, instead of trying to address California's problems, we're trying to make life easier for pedophiles. Lord, help us. I know, uh, Craig, and it's great to be back with you. Um, This is, I, I was listening to how you were trying to describe it, and I don't know if we can on family radio uh, describe what this bill is about. And you're right. This actually does come from a Bay Area legislator. Senator Scott Weiner um, is the one that has uh, really pushed for this measure, and uh, it does have to do with uh, relations between uh, those who are in their teens and those who are over 21. And um, the fact that we're even discussing this at a time when all of those issues that you mentioned, from unemployment to um, vast overspending and a, uh, anticipated budget deficit into the high tens of billions um, to a housing crisis, all these things um, are are not being uh, engaged with. And I thought there was a reporter who covers the Sacramento area named uh, John Meyer, and I follow his his Twitter feed. And at one point in a Twitter, in a tweet he sent out, he said, you know, somebody is up in the Senate gallery uh, yelling something about jobs and homes. And that's all he said. And I thought to myself, that's a that's a perfect metaphor for the California legislature, that the the public is yelling about issues like jobs and housing costs and the quality of life here in the California, in, in the state of California. And here's the legislature, all the insiders debating a bill that we can't really even fully describe on family radio. It's it's ridiculous. And what's shocking about this, 
Pete, is against the backdrop of all of the discussion that we've been having, and rightfully so, surrounding things like the Me Too movement, along with, very fresh in the news, the ongoing Jeffrey Epstein case, and now with the woman that allegedly was helping to procure young girls for Mr. Epstein and uh, his cadre. And yet, in spite of the shock and horror that the whole nation has experienced watching this, here in California, we're not trying to protect children. We're trying to take down the walls of protection and effectively make it easier for pedophiles. Well, what am I missing here? Did I? You want to just pinch me, reach out through the radio and pinch me and tell me that since March of this year, I've just been having a really bad dream? <laughs> Yeah, I wish I could do that, Craig, but no, that's that's the state of play. And Senator Weiner's bill is essentially, a, I, I guess, that he would argue intended to balance the playing field for uh, those who are put on the sex registry, um, the sex offender registry between those in the LGBTQ community and, and those who aren't. Um, but suffice it to say, there were really serious bills uh, that were on issues like housing and jobs and support for those impacted by the pandemic that were not addressed while this one was. And as you probably covered in your shows, when the the last session stretched into uh, beyond midnight, uh, there were a number of bills that just never got any serious debate. Uh, but this one did. Unbelievable. And and as much as I'd like to think, well, something like this is never going to make it out of committee, or if it did and it went on to the full assembly for a vote, um, and the legislature rather for a vote, clearly this is something that the governor in his right mind would never sign, uh, and yet we can't be guaranteed of that, can we? No, we can't. Uh, you know, we, we talked, I know, uh, over the years about uh, Governor Brown, back in those days that we sometimes I can't believe we we pine for uh, that we knew it certainly on spending bills and then on some of these others that once they got to the governor's desk that he would veto them. But increasingly, uh, we're not so sure what's going to happen. And I think it's it's probably fair to say that the governor probably endorses measures like this. Suffice it to say, he never came out to really scold the legislature for not um, really adequately taking time to deliberate over these much more important measures. And as you've probably seen, Republicans themselves were essentially uh, squelched, um, where their Zoom cameras and Zoom platforms were either uh, turned off or muted. Uh, preventing them from the opportunity to engage in debate. So this really was a really was a mess uh, leading to the end of the legislative session. Uh, clearly, they're on recess for a season here. When they come back, we're going to need to uh, um, be working the phones. In fact, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get the email and letter writing brigade up and running now um, with regard to just the outright dangers that are inherent in every aspect of Senate Bill 145. And if you're tuning in late, um, you may be inclined to want to slap the top of your radio thinking that you misheard. But no, it's true. There is a bill that has been proposed by Scott Wiener of San Francisco that essentially would 
soften law that allows a judge more leeway so that at the end of the day, if there was so-called consensual relations between, say, a 14-year-old and a 24-year-old, that that yeah. would be permissible and that um, the, the notion of having to send somebody away for many, many years or even to register as a sex offender would not be necessary. Under what set of circumstances that you could consider a 14-year-old granting a 21-year-old adult consent is beyond me, but somehow they think that's the case, and sadly enough, they're so far are not proving to be enough moral people in Sacramento to stand against this, but you and I can, and I think that's very important that we do so. And, and, and Pete, that leads me to a, a final question here for you. As I mentioned in my opening remarks, we're in the election season now. We are exactly two months and a day away from the general election in November. And in many respects, of course, this is the election of our lifetime. But I want listeners to be mindful that it's not just the sake or the stake of the country that's at stake here, but but even our local communities are are facing unprecedented levels um, of, of, of challenges through things like this and people of this sort that are willing to propose measures of this nature and others within the California state legislature that seemingly have no problem with it. It really makes voter participation in this election perhaps the most important, if not in our lifetimes, maybe in the history of the country. I don't know. Well, I think it's a fair debate. And you're so right, Craig. And your your other point you made earlier about the council member that you vote for today could be the U.S. Senate uh, candidate that you may see tomorrow. I, you know, just think about, you know, Senator Tony, State Senator Tony Atkins, who is the, the the Senate president for the state of California, was a council member in the San Diego area, um, and really throughout the legislature, uh, you see see this more on the Democrat side than the Republican side. You see so many people in office that began at the council level. And so not only that, but you think about the ballot measures that are coming up to the split roll measure and others uh, that obviously just impact us all as Californians. So important uh, to be gauge, engaging and finding out more about these issues and, and making sure that we vote uh, on or before November 3rd. And, of course, all these people, whether they're talking about somebody that is running for city council or school board or um, maybe on a, a seat uh, within your, your county or, or higher up, uh, all are people that really engage in the crafting and shaping of our public policy, which is the reason why having young people who have an understanding of why public policy is important, how you go about fa uh, uh, um, creating favorable public policy that's encouraging to the support of families and, and protecting uh, jobs and things of this sort, uh, really becoming, uh, like voting these days, more important than ever before. Say a word, if you would, about the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, Pete. Yeah, well, thanks, Craig. And I, I would just do it through one of our alums. I'm, I'm thinking about one who graduated about uh, 10 years ago, who's the chief of staff now for California State Senator John Morlock, really one of the, the great conservative leaders, deep man of faith, represents a district in Orange County. Well, his chief of staff is one of our alums here. And really, when you look uh, not only there, but throughout the legislature, out to Capitol Hill, that um, folks that are coming out of our 20-month uh, program, graduate program here, are really leaders 
in their fields. Obviously, they go through a pretty unique education here that considers issues like religious liberty and America's founding principles as being highly relevant to today's policy debates. And so for any of your listeners who know those who might be thinking about grad school, they want to get involved in politics, but know they need uh, a a next step in their education, uh, I, I really do hope they give us a look down here in Malibu. And we encourage you to get more information simply by going online to publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Our thanks to Pete Peterson, who is, of course, in the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, and uh, Dean Dean there. And, uh, wow, uh, amazing issues that we're facing these days and um, incumbent upon all of us to make sure that we are taking a stand and our voice is being heard. And our vote counted. We'll talk about the counting of votes coming up next here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Some of us are old enough to remember the November general election of 2000. It stands out on my mind, in my mind for a couple of reasons, not least of which it is the first and only time that I ever began election coverage at 7 o'clock in the evening, an hour before the polls closed in California, and find myself at 3 o'clock the next morning, well, eight hours into this, saying, we're going to quit here and just come back to it tomorrow. Well, if you have recollections of the 2000 general election and know that it led to a mildly protracted Supreme Court battle and thought that was bad, well, we could be facing come this November of 2020, uh, by comparison, um, an election that could be in so much disarray that it may would make what happened in Florida in 2000 look like just a a bit of a disagreement between close friends. Let's talk about how to make sure your vote is counted. Debbie Withrow joins us. She is president of iVoterGuide. And Debbie, thanks so much for being with us today. Let's talk a bit about some of these challenges. Certainly, all of this is being complicated because of COVID-19. And while the notion of voting absentee or vote by mail perhaps on the surface, seems to be a wonderful alternative to going down to the local polling place. We do know that it, at the very least, could complicate just how long it is before that final tally comes in. So I guess at the end of the day, the good old-fashioned method of going into the polling place and voting is tried, true, and no doubt the best. But how do we ensure to make sure that, that all of that, in fact, runs properly that every person votes and that every vote is counted? Well, there's a lot of of factors to consider in there. And one of the factors, um, I mean, I understand, I'm sure you understand that voting in person is the best way if to make sure your vote gets counted. One of the factors that COVID is causing is that most poll workers are elderly. They're in that age bracket that's even at, you know, the greatest risk from COVID. So, we're, we're faced with a shortage of actual poll workers, which is, you know, it's, it's in part driving some of the narrative for wanting more people to be to vote by mail, not just 
for your personal safety, but they don't have enough workers. So we've actually um, been promoting, uh, yesterday was National Poll Worker Recruitment Day, and encouraging, um, especially Christian voters, but anybody who is healthy, to volunteer to make your to play your part. The more people that we have to volunteer, the more polling places that can be open, the more people that can safely vote in person. And um, just to make sure that your ballot is there and counted. And it's not just working the day of the election. You could work, um, you know, early voting places. You can work sometimes in the central counting facilities to make sure that, you know, the the ballots are counted correctly and accurately. We need um, observers and election officials that that are, you know, trying to make sure that every every vote counts and counts correctly. My grandmother served as a judge in our local polling place for probably 30 years to my recollection was always <laughs> was always a great way when I was much younger to be certain that I didn't fail to show up because if I hadn't by a certain time she'd make sure that I had uh, and and it's a great way, I think, to understand a bit more about not just the voting process, to be fully participatory from a, a citizenship standpoint. And so um, volunteering to spend a day working at a polling place, either the day of the election or, as Debbie mentions, uh, many counties are uh, extending voting. In fact, my own county in San Mateo, I think uh, almost 30 days prior, there are designated mm-hmm. locations, official polling places that you can go to and cast your ballot. So if you're going to be out of town or otherwise indisposed on Tuesday, November the 3rd, there are other options that will allow you to vote and vote safely ahead of time. One of the other concerns is, um, you know, with with so much of this being a a, a hotly contested election and no doubt with much of the rhetoric, certainly the hottest election I've seen in my lifetime, making sure that things go smoothly at the polling places, critically important as well. And I understand there are a number of key ways in which your organization is suggesting that people can get involved. Certainly signing up to work at the polls is one of them. Uh, talk to us about some of the other options, though, that will allow Americans to participate in this to protect one of the most sacred rights that we have as a citizen. Well, at iVoterGuide.com, we talk about, you know, we want every vote to count, but we want everybody to vote wisely and to vote wisely on as many races on their ballot as possible. So our mission really is to equip voters with truth and data about the candidates that are on their ballot so that they can hate, they can make that um, informed choice and not just at the top of the ticket. You have races, you know, statewide races. You have Congress that's all on the battle. There are Senate that are on the on the ticket. And then there's even local races. And iVoterGuide is researching over 8,000 candidates this critical election cycle, not just in California, but in all 50 states. And uh, really looking at what candidates have done, not just what they say they're going to do, by uh, by diving into data. And if you go to iVoterGuide.com and you enter your zip code or your voting address, um, we're in the process of releasing our evaluations of the candidates for the general election. But you can um, you can sign up, and we'll let you know when it's released and see your personalized ballot, um, making it real easy for you to be a knowledgeable voter and to be a good steward of that vote. And I think it's important for the benefit of listeners to point out that this is really fact-based. This is not uh, a partisan effort uh, on either direction. This is simply putting forward to voters 
the information, the position statements on each candidate so that folks can really fully make an involved decision and not simply be weighed or, or influenced by uh, crazy television ads or, or uh, essentially some of the candidate-style propaganda. Am I right? Uh, completely right. Too many people are tired of not knowing who, could, who they could trust, you know, what candidates say, what the media says. And iVoterGuide really seeks to go uh, to be authentic and trustworthy and go into the source of the data. So we start by getting scorecards for candidates who've held office because the best predictor of how somebody's going to vote in the future is how they voted in the past. We look at their campaign finance data. It's really important to see, you know, what somebody does with their pocketbook, says what's important to them, get their endorsements, they get to give their survey positions uh, for their issue survey, and then we have volunteers who then look at all that data, all that truth, all that accuracy, and they evaluate each candidate on a seven-point scale from very liberal to very conservative to give you a real, a clear side-by-side comparison of how that candidate will vote and even a glimpse into their worldview and what values are important to each of those candidates. So some really good resources available, not just in terms of being involved in uh, protecting the sanctity of this process, so to speak, uh, but at the same token, make sure that as you vote, you do so wisely. Information again available by simply going online to iVoter.com. That's I like in me, I, iVoter.com. Once again, iVoter.com. They'll have that comprehensive guide available uh, shortly. You can put in your zip code to get more information. And again, there are a number of ways in which you can discover how you can be involved, praying certainly for the outcome of the election, signing up to be a poll watcher in many communities that are going to be needing that. And of course, as Debbie mentioned, signing up to also work at the polls. Information again on the web at iVoter.com. 534 as we thank Debbie with now for being with us. Let's get a look at traffic for you. The latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, the list seems to be growing. Minneapolis, Kenosha, Los Angeles, Louisville. Protests in cities like Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, Oakland, elsewhere. All of this certainly focusing on the, the deeper issue of police violence, relations between African Americans and the rest of the nation and what to do about it. And we've had a lot of talk and discussion. We've heard from politicians. We've heard from community leaders, all of whom have perhaps to varying degrees put forward some good ideas. But in the end, I think we have to kind of get down to not just treating the symptoms, but beginning to explore what the causes are. If you went to your doctor with severe pain and all the doctor did was prescribe you pain medication, that might ease it for the moment, but deep down you know that the problem is really still there. And so our failure to get deep down and deal with the real core issue that is driving so much of this consternation and anger and hatred across the country, what exactly is it? Well, recently there was an opinion that appeared in the Californian newspaper penned by my next guest that helps us to do just that, to dig down to some of those deep answers. 
He is no stranger to the KFAX microphones. In fact, he's here every Saturday at 7 p.m. as host of Contending for the Faith. And as always, great to have Dr. Jerry L. Buckner join us on the program. And uh, Dr. Buckner, thanks for making some time with us today. Craig, it's always a blessing and a pleasure to be on your program with you. We talked not long after the tragedy of George Floyd hit the newspapers back here over the Memorial Day weekend about the kind of pain that the African-American community was feeling then, continues to feel today, the sense of angst over repeated cases of, of apparent police brutality and violence against blacks, and specifically oftentimes unarmed blacks or people that are perceived to have firearms that in the end are not. And, and, and to be sure, it, it's an ongoing painful issue that, that maybe when we kind of peel back the layers of the onion um, demonstrates an even deeper wound. And you probe into some of this uniquely inside of this opinion that you wrote for the Californian that appeared in the newspaper earlier this month. And, and maybe your unique perspective, Dr. Buckner, can help all of us better understand not just what the problem is, but most importantly, key steps that we as a nation and a community need to be taking to move toward the solution. First off, let me get your reaction, if if you will, to uh, most recently the case of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, within the last 72 hours, Dijon Kizzy in Los Angeles. Your thoughts? Yeah, Craig, uh, appreciate that question. It's always uh, a terrible situation when uh, we see uh, police officers go beyond the call of duty to um, be uh, people that is not people of integrity, um, but violence. Uh, They're supposed to stop violence, and what they end up doing is perpetuating it by uh, shooting people and choking people and uh, putting their uh, knee on their necks and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, There is no justifiable reason for that. Uh, It is evil. We need to condemn it. And uh, the churches need to stand up against any type of injustices uh, in the world. Martin Luther King Jr. said one time, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But I think we've got to balance this out. You know, we've got to condemn uh, police uh, brutality and murders, uh, no matter who it's with. Um, and we also got to uh, mentor and train our young black men. Uh, I'm a, uh, African-American, and I do a lot of mentoring of young black men. And we need to uh, equip them and train them and become mentors and surrogate fathers to them on how to react to uh, the police department because it's a two-edged sword here. You know, we don't accept what these police officers are doing by any means necessary, and we condemn that. But we also uh, have to uh, call out uh, young black men in particular who don't abide by the law and they create a bigger problem for themselves because uh, the law is coming there to address their 
issues uh, of, of some sort uh, in breaking the law. And I always have trained my uh, son on how to deal with officers because he was stopped one time and uh, he was calm and he did everything that the officers told him to do, even though they were racist towards him. And uh, he's still alive today. But uh, it's a two-edged sword. We have to address the racism that we see with um, police officers doing these uh, heinous things and heinous crimes and hold them accountable. We also got to hold the young black men uh, accountable for not abiding by the law. And this is something that's very seldom discussed. And we got to uh, train our young men in the home and the churches, uh, as well as the community. And then we got to come into the black families uh, and families who are fatherless, because the biggest problem in America today, uh, especially in the black community, is fatherless uh, young men who don't have fathers. And uh, this is uh, the reason why there are so many uh, crimes in the black community, because the lack of father leadership, and especially godly leadership, and that's where the churches have to step up and the community and others as well. Well, even as a case of what happened in Los Angeles, now again, I want to be very careful here in delineating a clear understanding that I am in no wise making excuse for the L.A. Police Department shooting a man seven times or a half a dozen times in the back when he's running away never seems to be good police policing in my mind under any set of circumstances. Running toward you with a knife and threatening your life with a gun, yeah, maybe. But running away from you? And yet that's what transpired apparently in Los Angeles. And it is indicated that apparently as um, he was um, detained by police on a bicycle allegedly for traffic violation, stopped, had a, a bundle of clothing under his arm, dropped it, and out fell a semi-automatic handgun, which is, I guess, what sort of precipitated the, the police response, albeit way over the top. But you look at a case like that, Dr. Buckner, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, didn't anybody ever teach him that this is probably a, not a good idea and that most certainly if you get pulled over by the police for whatever reason... Uh, I was taught when I was a kid, if they have a gun, they have handcuffs and the capability of putting you in jail, you're probably at a very distinct disadvantage. So better off to be fully cooperative. Yes, sir. No, sir. Go through the routine, sign off on the ticket and plead your case before the judge when the time comes, as opposed to trying to make a case out on the street. And you have to wonder with this kind of behavior, and I think this is part of what you're pointing to, clearly, like in the case in the young man in Los Angeles, nobody ever taught him this is not a good idea. That's absolutely true. And that's where I'm calling on the uh, uh, churches uh, as well as the community that uh, we got to get out there and uh, reach our young black men uh, and mentor them, train them, become surrogate fathers and mentors to them, and uh, work with them uh, on uh, how to develop a wise etiquette uh, in approaching uh, white police officers, because many of them are 
not many of them, but there's a, there's a small percentage. Uh, and uh, when you have uh, bad apples, a bad couple of bad apples in the barrel, <laughs> you don't throw away all of the apples because it's just a few in there that's bad. So we don't want to uh, taint all of the officers to be that way. But uh, those that small percentage that uh, is bad, they're trigger happy. And if you give them an opportunity to pull the trigger on you by not having a a godly etiquette and a wise etiquette and a calm effect, uh, some of them will pull the trigger on you, and that's so important to to know. Uh, Yes, you had also mentioned about uh, my article, uh, actually the editorial for the Bakersfield, California, and I've had so many people uh, contact me regarding that that article or editorial, and they were so blessed, even... uh, a white gentleman that was 82 said, I'm right uh, with you on all the things you say. And, you know, uh, I have to say this, Craig, and you mentioned this at the beginning, that uh, in the article I basically said, you know, when you have a problem with a uh, root canal, you can't solve that problem uh, when you, uh, need, you go and get a cleaning uh, or a filling it's just going to continue to be a problem. So you got to get to the root to bear fruit. And uh, I uh, told the uh, people that's a newspaper place that I would do the article if you allow me uh, to uh, literally deal with the root of the problem. And so in our society today, Craig, uh, we, we're going to have to respond, and we'll re- respond in two ways. One way is that we'll respond our way. And, it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So we're going to either lean to our own understanding or we're going to lean on the Lord. And there is uh, a, a tremendous scripture. I, I, I'm going to challenge all those out there listening now uh, to uh, look at, and I just want to kind of say something on it before you go to commercial break. Uh, this is um, a bigger pandemic, which is the pandemic of sin. Uh, and until we deal with that pandemic of sin, we're never going to deal with the other pandemics and all the other problems in the world. So in Second Chronicles 15, I encourage everybody to write that down, Second Chronicles 15, verses 3 through 6, it says, modern-day translation, without, uh, it says, without the true God, Notice that. Without the true God, verse 4, but when they are in trouble, did not turn unto the Lord, verse 5, and in those times there was no peace to the individual, the family, the cities, and the nations. And verse 6 says, for the God, God troubled them, vexed them with all adversity and distress. Verse 6, last verse, and the nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did trouble and vex them with all adversity and distress. This is the same thing, the same thing that happened to Israel uh, and their nation is the same thing that's happening today. Uh, we have a lot of, we have no peace in the cities, uh, in our nation, and there's distress, adversity, trouble, uh, looting, uh, people talking about social justice, and how to address racism, but 
it's like putting a uh, a band-aid over uh, a sin. Uh, you can't solve the problems in our world by putting a band-aid over sin. Uh, the only way to deal with sin, uh, because sin is deeper than skin, uh, you got to deal with a Savior who has come to redeem us and bring reconciliation with with ourselves, with him, and with each other. And when we do that, and we demonstrate uh, the love of God in our hearts, we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as a self, this will obliterate all of the racism and all the problems that we're having today. And this is the bottom line to it all. The solution is not trying to solve it by trying to deal with uh, social justice, injustices, even though we, the Bible addresses justice, but if we deal with sin, it will obliterate every other problem, and we turn to a Savior who will save us and bring healing in our land, like it says in Second Chronicles seven fourteen. The land never will find healing until it turns from its wicked ways and turn to God. Well, and this really takes us down to sort of the the bedrock of this entire challenge. And, you know, again, to be clear, not suggesting that there's not a time and a place and a necessity for things like social justice. But when we're trying to to right a wrong, if we don't get down to why that wrong occurred in the first place, we're never going to be able to eradicate it. We, We may put some window dressing on it. We may see a temporary reprieve. I think our nation sort of went through a period like that following um, the, the, the tragic situation of the Rodney King uh, beating and subsequent riots that plagued much of the West Coast, certainly um, San Francisco and uh, Los Angeles back in the 1990s. And we, we thought maybe we had turned a corner and when, in fact, we did not. And if any of the recent events are um, demonstrative of just... Uh, how far further we have slid in the wrong direction, then it begs the question, well, how do we get to the bottom of all of this? And all of these calls for things like defund the police, I'm not even quite sure what that means. I mean, do we do we suddenly that say that what we're going to police ourselves, every man for himself? Well, uh, th- that that's a great way yeah. to create uh, an environment of anarchy. And, and if you want to see the the uh, the human condition devolve into absolute utter chaos go ahead and try that one i mean the, the rules are in place in order to protect the polite society so that you don't get on the freeway and do 200 miles an hour or other crazy things i mean it, it it's there to create an environment that allows all of us to live together hopefully in peace and and uh, to be able to enjoy our our freedoms that said this really comes down to something that you've touched on and what i think has been absent from the the current discussion and so much as in the 1950s and 60s it was the church largely largely to be sure the church in the south but it was the church that led the way in fighting for things like the civil rights act of 1964 bringing about uh, voter equality things of this sort Um, all of those strides were all taken at the behest of and under the leadership of the church Today, sadly, we seem to be sitting back, opining, suggesting that there has to be a political solution, that the right politician, the right party is going to solve the issue. And Dr. Buckner, my fear is that in this case, the the church is found to be MIA 
And if we're not leading the way, then getting down to this core issue of the sin that causes someone to act out in acts of violence or anger and hatred. If we never eradicate that root cause of the sin, this is just going to continue, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you, you're hitting it right on the, the head. Um, yeah, we, we have to, um, the church has to uh, stop this MIA thing uh, because we have to live, what discipleship is all about. I took, uh, taught a class on discipleship. And what discipleship is all about is living under the the uh, under a king. Uh, Jesus is our king, uh, and we are in a kingdom. I mean, if you were to talk about what Jesus talked about the most in his uh, writings in the gospel, it was always about the kingdom. And we are supposed to be living under the lordship and and his kingdom. And uh, we are to be obedient to that, and being obedient to that as true disciples, we uh, are called to be salt and light. We are to be change agents, not secret agents, but undercover agents. We are to blow our cover. And so, uh, and when we do that, we, uh, we bring God into the focus again. And if God is not uh, repositioned, uh, in uh, the proper framework in our culture and nation, uh, it would be only like someone trying to put a Band-Aid over the problem, and there's never a solution. So the thing is, is that we got to ter- return back to God. And when you look back at uh, the uh, children of Israel, uh, they uh, were delivered out of uh, Egypt because they focused on God. And when you look back at slavery, uh, they were delivered because they focused on God. They were brought out. And then when you think about the civil rights movement under Martin Luther King Jr., it was a focus on God and uh, brought them out. And so uh, it, we need to get back to focusing on God, uh, and the Church needs to take a leadership role in this. And this is why... Uh, the church has become very fearful, and I always use the acronym for fear. Uh, F means false, E, evidence appearing, A, to be real. And there's a lot of intimidation with Black Lives Matter and a lot of other issues out there today that's putting a lot of fear in the hearts of church people and pastors speaking out. And uh, if we don't be that light and salt in a decaying world, then we're going to fall under what uh, the Bible says, judgment begins in the house of God. And it's already started in the house of God, and it's going to continue, because the society, Craig, say this in closing on this, the society uh, becomes um, off-focused always historically when the Church first becomes uh, off-focused. You can always uh, find that in every uh, society, historically, that when the Church is not there, then the society and the culture goes to hell in a handbasket. Well, and, and you know, and just to kind of put an exclamation and a period on your statement, Dr. Buckner, uh, we look at much of what's happening with the disintegration in our nation, in our culture, certainly in our state, and uh, let, let's be clear about this. It hasn't been wrestled away from us 
We've abdicated our responsibility. We have essentially voluntarily surrendered much of that responsibility. And I would say that it began back in the early 1960s when we allowed the U.S. Supreme Court to do things like abandon uh, prayer in the classroom or the influence of Scripture, right down to even the Ten Commandments. I mean, Practically speaking, wouldn't it be nice if there was something that instructed young people today to understand the value of not lying, not cheating, not stealing, not killing Mm -hmm. others, honoring their parents? Aren't these all ideals that that basically we as Americans fundamentally agree upon? And and yet in spite of that, we've allowed others to take much of that foundation of our culture away from us. And and we've and we've allowed them to do so. So don't feel as if somehow this has been stolen. This is not some big left-sided conspiracy to try to ruin the world. If they've succeeded, they've succeeded because we've let them. And uh, and oh, certainly yeah. looking at the importance of the church needing to be front and center on this particular topic as we try to get to the root of our problems in our nation today. What with with the violence that we're seeing on the streets. All of these things, I think, ought to combine together to be a major wake-up call for the church. The big question is, will we, will we respond or will we continue to slumber and sleep? Dr. Jerry Buckner's program, Contending for the Faith, comes your way every Saturday at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. It is one of those must-tune-in destination programs, so be sure to check it out. Dr. Jerry Buckner, Contending for the Faith, Saturdays at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Well, thanks to Dr. Buckner for being with us. It's six, a little after 6 o'clock. Let's get caught up here, and we'll do so right now at the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with...